If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And today we have a very special guest with us, Miss Katie Enright, who is the founder of Lavinia. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. Before I get into Lavinia and all the, the business stuff, Let's learn more about your journey and sort of uh, your history and where you came from. Uh, Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in the west suburbs of Chicago. Okay. And uh, growing up, uh, were were your parents together? Did you have siblings? What was like sort of your childhood like? My childhood was pretty amazing. I, I feel really lucky. I'm the six to seven kids. My parents have been married now for 55 years. They're wildly in love. They're a great example of a really healthy relationship. Um, and I had a really great childhood. I didn't even think that exists anymore. In the world. <laughs> I, my, my parents are married. They'll probably listen to this, but I don't care. They, they were married for 54 years, I think. Uh, it'll be 55 yeah, in, in February. And I don't think they even like each other anymore. They tolerate each other. <laughs> But, but they're still together. And I don't think they ever did, to be honest with you. They're always bickering and fighting. But I, 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 don't, I, I didn't grow up seeing this loving you know, relationship between two people. So I think it probably affected my relationships for sure. Yeah, that's kind of a bummer. I'm sorry about that. I, I mean, maybe or maybe not. Maybe you, you, know, you, you sort of break the, the, the trend because if there is a, a cycle and you're like, this is not the way I want my relationship to be. Maybe you're sort of doing something else to have your relationship be different. 
Amen. That's that's actually true. Sometimes um, seeing things you don't want clarifies what you do want. So just so I can understand the journey, so you grew up in the uh, South Side of Chicago and then- uh, uh, West Suburbs. Oh, West Suburbs. Sorry. I don't know why I said South Side. Uh, uh, and then uh, you went uh, you, you went to school and then uh, what, what did you want to be? Like when you were going to school- did you have a, like, I want to be this when I, when I grow up? Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of, um, it, there, it vacillated a little bit what I wanted to be. So when I was in, you know, beginning, I think freshman year of high school, I thought about being an ice cream manufacturer and going to Penn state and manufacturing and like ice cream, uh, you know, having an ice cream brand, yeah. which is pretty funny. I do have a deep love for ice cream to this day. <laughs> um, and what's, then, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate chip. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a gelato guy. Ice cream, ice cream is great, but gelato. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go wrong with either. Really. Um, so why Penn State? They have a ice cream manufacturing program. They have a program really? designed to, no idea. yeah, manufacture ice cream. And I just thought that was so so cool. And like the idea of maybe having a farm. I don't know. I thought it was kind of fun. And then also um, being an actor and you know pursuing that route, like an entertainment performance kind of route. And then also becoming a nun. So I was really devoutly Catholic. And so those were kind of like my three options. I'm not sure why the ice cream manufacturing um, kind of went away. I actually like went through the process of naming it and, and doing everything. But, you know, obviously that wasn't that wasn't my journey at the time. Um, and so it was kind of really between acting and um, becoming a nun. Which are very similar, I think. No, 100%. Everyone's cat. <laughs> And you've heard this story <laughs> 10 other times. So, so I'm, I'm just trying to, okay. Um, were you in school plays? Like what were you yeah, doing? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was okay. in school plays. Um, I was taking acting classes, um, in Chicago. So I went to a, I went to a college that was in the West suburbs of Chicago as well. And so I take the train in and go to acting school in Chicago, um, pursued like getting an agent and things out there. Um, and so, and, and that, that path is super fun. Like performing is amazing. It's, it's a great, yeah. great time, great experience. Um, and, but ultimately I think when I was in college, I really wanted to go through like a discernment process to see if I wanted to actually become a nun. And so mm -hmm. I did a study about broad program in Ireland during that time to kind of figure out if like that was something, a path I wanted to actually take. Yeah, let's, let's kind of dive into that for a minute. I, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to figure out what motivates a, a person to be a nun. Like, were your parents ultra religious and you were uh, yeah. connected to that? Yeah, and my parents were ultra religious, but 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 for me, it was a really great experience. I understand a lot of people have a, a lot of negative experiences with, with religion. That wasn't my experience at all. My experience was a really positive one. Um, my parents are super faithful, but just like really awesome, really nice, really kind, not judgmental, like just really the, the ideal version um, of a strong practicing religious person. And so for me, I always enjoyed going to church. I enjoyed participating in um, all of the, you know, sacraments and stuff like that. So uh, it was a really good experience, which is why I think I wanted to potentially continue on with it. So you went to study abroad to 
kind of learn and see if this is something you wanted to pursue uh, okay. because you know it, it's a it's it's a pretty um, committed lifestyle right like there's uh, uh, there's things that you have to be able to uh, say th- that for the rest of my life I'm going to do this and uh, you know uh, celibacy and and uh, but you know giving I, I mean I'm sure giving is, uh, is something that that's pretty uh, common because you grew up with that kind of thing but like you're going to this to what what would be the like what would be the ultimate thing that you would learn there to say okay you know what this makes sense to me like what was what were you seeking to give you that that sign that you say I I want to do this or I don't and and the reason why I'm asking this question is because you're you're still one side of your your brain is saying acting and I want to do uh, and I want to perform and I'm in LA so. Uh, I mean, I see this uh, uh, all the time, every day. People want to be actors, which is which is fantastic. But you know, you're you're an actor with this side of your brain. You're a nun this side of your brain. What what tips the scale? How do you how do you go about the discernment process? How did I choose? Is that the question? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> thank so, you for clarifying that. <laughs> so, um, uh, I was. Um, praying in the Sistine Chapel. And I, I had met somebody, um, we were randomly assigned to live with four guys and four girls in the household. And I, I randomly was assigned to live with this man named Francois. And he was a Belgium knight, which I mean, his name says it all, right? And it was so interesting because normally Francois and I would never even really have a, a long conversation because we were just so different. Um, but because we lived together, we really had the opportunity to talk to each other, get to know each other, learn about each other's cultures. Um, uh, you know, we spoke different languages uh, growing up. So it was just a, a super fun time of kind of learning about some, somebody and in a very wholesome way, you know, we were roommates essentially. And, um, but like not sleeping in the same room, but just like in, there were four rooms on the bottom right. floor that were men, four rooms on the top that were women. And I was praying in the Sistine Chapel. And I remember like having a conversation with God and I was like, you know, what should I do? And God was like, well, what do you want to do? And and I remember being like, oh, I, I thought it's always like God's will and what God wants and stuff like that. But it was, it was interesting because like the, the way that I was receiving our conversation was that like I had choices and I said, well, I'm kind of scared that no one else is going to go into the, you know, nunhood and that there's going to be no nuns. And, and God said, well, is, is that what you want? And I said, well, no, I really want to get married and have kids. And God was like, well, that's not your burden. If no one goes into the nunhood is not your burden, mm-hmm. go and have, get married and have kids if that's what you desire. And so as soon as I left the Sistine Chapel, I kind of felt this tremendous sense of relief because then I was able to really make the decision that, you know, if I want to become a nun or not. And then um, Francois came and met me. He drove from Belgium to Rome and then we drove all throughout Italy together. And it was super fun and and a really great um, experience. So do you think that part of that desire to be a nun had something to do with guilt? Because you said, you said, I, there's not going to be any nuns left. I, I am supposed to do this so I can save nunhood or something like that. Yeah, I guess obligation would probably be the word that I would use. But like, yeah, I'm sh- I think that there was a sense of obligation because it's a really, I mean, it's it's a beautiful life in that it's your life is devoted to helping and giving and, you know, really 
enhancing society in a lot of ways. It's really you give up a lot, right? The three vows that you have to take, celibacy, poverty, and obedience, those are pretty significant vows. Um, and and it's I think that it is something that I was like, I'm I was worried that what that would mean if we didn't have any more, but when you go to Rome, it's like, there are priests and nuns walking around. Like, (laughs) don't worry about it. There's plenty, plenty. You're you're fine. We're good. We're good for, for uh, years to come. Uh, I was, I was asking more about the sexual exploration because I'm trying to lead to, you know, the starting of your company and all that stuff. It, so when you're, when you're exploring yourself sexually, are you noticing that, you know, there are certain things that are, working not working and then are you talking to other girlfriends and 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 saying okay this is working for me this is not working for me how do you start moving into this uh, you know noticing that there may be a gap somewhere that needs to be addressed yeah so i was actually training for my second marathon and my first marathon i ran and i had a lot of issues and a lot of difficulty um and so i decided for my second marathon i would incorporate recovery in the training and so i started to um incorporate cannabis in my recovery and i did a bunch of research and in the research i was doing i actually found a blog that said uh cannabis lube it's baby baby making good and what's so funny is that i've gone on now to uh, attend classes at the um the certified cannabis institute wait cannabis educator institute i forgot the 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 One name of those, right right. now but it's like the cannabis educators where i'm becoming a, a cannabis like i can be a certified cannabis educator and she wrote the blog the person that's in charge of that program wrote the blog which is kind of mm-hmm. funny because that's what inspired the company um and she did a coconut oil base for her lube and coconut oil is great for so many things it's very hot hot thing right now because it's organic it's vegan it's great for pulling for whitening teeth um but for me personally it kind of causes yeast infections it's not a really great lubricant um and for most people it's not but if you use it and like it go on i don't want to tell you not to use something that you like you doing but um but i literally went to a dispensary the next day to try to find a lubricant on the market and I couldn't find one that wasn't coconut oil based. And so I started to make it just for myself in my kitchen. Cause I was making, um, you know, I was making balms for training for the marathon. So I just did like a silicone based lubricant and I tried it and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is really significantly enhances the experience. And then, um, I was bartending at the time and I found, uh, I, you know, I would give it to friends and family at the bar and um this guy came up to me and he's like hey are you the weed loop girl and i was like oh my gosh i am i'm the weed loop girl and so then i was like this is actually a company like if this is a product that i want that's not available and then other people are kind of calling me out this is definitely something that needs to be on the on the market and available so i mean you start making it in your in your home it's not as easy like to make just cannabis products in your home um how like when you started making it how did you start transitioning this to saying okay this is a company i need to manufacture this and also uh i'm i'm assuming it has thc uh in it as well so now you know being able to since the laws in california are have changed or uh, recreationally, you have to get licensed you have to get licensed to manufacture like how do, how did that all work from this idea of, okay, 
I'm going to make this, it's working for me. It's working for my friends and family. How do you transition that into like a company? So I, um, when, when that happened, when the guy said, are you the weed loop girl? I realized that this has the potential to be a great company. And so I hired a PhD chemist and from hiring him, we did about a year and a half of R and D and we did 25 different formulations. We did every single possible thing that you can think of. We did, you know, essential oils. We did uh, nanotechnology. We did everything that we could possibly think of. And the really cool thing is that there's a, there's a vibrator called the lioness and it has sensors on the side that records the pulsing of the vaginal walls during a sexual experience. So we actually have data on sexual experiences and orgasms and like how intense this one was versus this. So we actually had like scientific data that we could do comparative research on. Um, and so from there, we we developed this, this one formula. That's the formula that we went to market with. And um, we're really happy with it. It's THC and CBD. And it's like a, an orgasmic mix is like how we'd like to describe it. But I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm talking also from a licensing standpoint because you have to THC. You have to have yes. Yeah, so you you have to get a you you do you have to go through the process of of um, applying for a license and then becoming a licensed facility. Yeah, Actually, right. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about like orgasms as a whole because I don't even know if I've ever asked anybody, but since I have uh, you as an expert in this, is it is it more like powerful orgasms? Right? Is it more the responsibility of the woman? Like, because a lot of it, from what I've been told and read, is uh, mental, right? So there's, uh, it comes from your your brain also. But is it the connection with a partner? Is it, like, how does how does it, your lube actually enhance orgasms? And is it is it something that'll work across the board for, for everyone? Or is it both? You know, you have to use lube and also there's other things that we suggest doing to make your orgasms better. So cannabis is a vasodilator. And essentially what that means is that it increases the size of the blood vessels, which increases blood flow. Some You kind of notice that if you smoke weed and your eyes turn red, literally the size of the blood vessels in your eyes are increasing in size and so is the blood flow. And so when you apply it topically below the belt, the same thing happens where it increases blood flow. There is a 15 minute to half hour onset time that it needs that time to increase the size of the blood vessels and increase the blood flow. But anytime you have a blood flow in that specific area, um, you know, that's how men have erections and how women have really intense, really strong, really great orgasms as well. So would this work for men as well? It's very interesting because initially we didn't think we thought it was just a product that designed for females. But what we realized in doing our research, we also have Dr. Christina Collins, who is a board certified dermatologist. She went to Harvard. She's amazing. She's on our team as well. And she, we were, we were comparing some research and some of the data and some of the graphs. And we realized that the pulsing of the vaginal walls becomes more intense with the blood flow, right? And that actually for the man feels much better as well. Um, and then men can use it anally too and receive uh, receive the effects of the cannabis where they get an actual head high and they, they can experience the effects of the cannabis as well. So, um, but it's a dermal product that's on the, the skin. How do, there's no transdermal, uh, you know, penetration of that. So how it, it just works in that specific area on the dermal, on the skin level? No, I mean, because if you apply it vaginally, you know, uh -huh. Mucous membranes absorb yeah. it. Okay. So it and then, gets absorbed. 
so it is absorbed uh, into and it passes blood brain barrier through the vaginal but anally. Walls. It does anally. It does vaginally. It does not. I, I have to be very careful to say that because sometimes the, you know cannabis is just now being researched, and there's always like that one freak situation where it does for the one person. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone kind of um, cannabis interacts with everybody different. Everybody's endocannabinoid system differently. So they're for the most part, I would say like ninety eight percent. Yes, but. Um, but like you always hear the stories about people that are like, I don't get high off of edibles. And you're like, what are you talking about? How can you not get high off of edibles? And they have like 1500 milligrams and they really don't get high off of ed- edibles. I don't know. It's very. Well, you're just, you're, you're, you're actually promoting my company by saying this. This It's exactly what we do. We have, we have a company that uses DNA genetics to guide people to a personalized experience with their cannabis use. And I actually wrote a book on this called Making Cannabis Personal. So uh, it's, it's exactly brilliant. why. Yeah, so and one of the reasons why this happens to some people and other people don't has to do with the way they metabolize. So everybody's metabolic function is different. And there's a series of genes called cytochrome P450, uh, which each one of them produces an enzyme that metabolizes something. There's a specific one for gluten. There's one for lactose. And there are specific ones for cannabinoids. So CYP2C9 for THC, 1,9 for uh, CBD, and 3A4 for CBD and THC together. So it used to be known for years and years that it's sort of milligram per kilogram of weight, but it doesn't work that way because somebody can be a much larger person than me and be a poor metabolizer and they take 10 milligrams of a gummy and uh, they're having you know a stressful event. So this is, you're absolutely right when you said everybody has a personalized experience and your, your genetics can guide that personal experience. So. Yeah, that's kind of what we do for our dosing too. We have suggested dosing, but it's very much based on you and experimenting it with you as well. You, you talk about community a lot when I visit your your site. So uh, are, are you creating a community of women who are using this and then giving feedback and, and talking about, you know, how this, uh, you know, help their relationships and all that stuff? Like, I, I really like the sense of community. It's not just your customers. Uh, it's that building of community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And also part of our building of our community is sex education Mm -hmm. Uh, because abstinence is great and that's great for so many people and it really works. But also if you decide not to become abstinent or if you do get married and then you have no idea uh, what to do in the bedroom, you know, sex education is kind of one of those things where it's still taught in a really awkward way. I learned by my gym teacher, (laughs) you know, like it's, it's (laughs) something that's very funny because it's such a key part of our society. It's such a key part of our physical and mental health. Like it's really, really, really important. And it's one of those things that's still so taboo that people don't talk about and, or they learn it in porn, which porn can be great for so many reasons. I'm not here to shit on porn, but, um, but porn is two paid performers that are doing positions that are not the most comfortable. They're doing, you know, they're the most profitable because this position, you can see this angle and it's more pleasant to look at or um, whatnot. But the, the problem is especially our youth is having sex for the first time. And then they're either experiencing their partner, not instantly having an orgasm when there's penetration and thinking either their partners, there's something wrong with their partner or thinking there's something wrong with them. And the reality is, is that they just haven't had the base or the education to say like, no, there's nothing is wrong with either of you. There's a thing called foreplay. (laughs) And 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 it's really, really important, especially for women. Um, And it's just kind of, it's, that's part of our goal is to really educate 
educate people and also provide an environment where people can talk about their experiences. We're really eager to talk about things in our life that are going well. Um, but when things are not going well, we tend to keep that as an isolated experience and not talk about it. So uh, let, let's dive a little bit deeper into that, the, the sex education part. Uh, how is it done? Is it, is it a, a blog? Is it a, is it a, a meeting that you have on Zoom? Uh, do you discuss, show, do people share their ideas? Like, how, how does it actually work? It's, it's something that it's a platform that we're currently building. So we're okay. kind of figuring all of that out. Um, it's something that I would like to do where it's like courses, where it's mm-hmm. either like, for example, parents talking to their kids about sex, because I think that that's really uncomfortable. Um, but it's also something that's super kind of necessary in some ways. And then um, courses about, you know, how to give blowjobs, how to, re- you, you know, and part of it too is also how to receive because it's really uncomfortable, especially as a woman. Um, I mean, and a man too, but like, there's so many things that happen where it puts you instantly in your head, um, your self-monitoring skills, which can really kill your sex life. That's why if you do smoke, um, so, you know, our anal product, you do get a head high from, but our vaginal product, uh, product you do not have a psychoactive experience mm-hmm. and so having a psychoactive experience when you're having a sexual experience is really amazing because it can instantly take you out of your head it can instantly kill all of your self-monitoring skills all of everything that you're telling yourself and it can just relax you which can really um, enhance your experience as well I, I mean for for some people and a lot of times yes for other people it does the opposite it actually creates uh, an, a later stress them so uh, you know i've i i known and have spoken and have personal experience where some people actually get deeper in their head and can't concentrate as much because they either got you know quote unquote too high or whatever they consume didn't align with them so it's a little bit too much thc and that's exactly what i was going to say yeah it depends on dosing that's the main thing because especially if anyone who's ever over consumed and you're not able to move your arms that's obviously not the ideal sexual experience either yeah, um, you move, actually you right about to launch what's that yeah you want to move your arms i think it makes yeah sense. <laughs> yeah I, I just the very first time i ever smoked weed ever it was a vaporizer and um, I didn't know what was supposed to happen. And my friend should have, I think, should have guided me a little bit better because he was a smoker. And yeah. I did six hits within like a two minute time because I was like, I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. And I literally had to go and lay down in their bed and like couldn't move my arms. And it was the worst, most terrifying experience. I didn't touch weed for like, <laughs> you know, years after that because I had this such a negative experience, which now I realize in a good little, you know, um, tidbit is that you can chew peppercorn. If you ever get to the point where you're too high and you start to feel like anxiety or like panic attacks or whatever, or you're just too high and you don't want to be this high anymore, you just chew peppercorn and it instantly takes your high down. Yeah. uh, Peppercorns are filled with beta caryophylline, which is a a terpene that that is uh, uh, an anti-inflammatory terpene. It has actually an affinity for your uh, CB2 receptors, what uh, CBD has an affinity for. Um, so go, going back to that, I'm curious. Uh, so what else can you do to have great sex? 
Well, I mean, with so with my company that we're building, our whole goal is to enhance people's sex life through cannabis. Um, so we have the lubricant. Um, we also are about to launch with our anal shooters for enhanced pleasure during anal sex. And then we have our before sex gummies and our after sex gummies. And so the before sex gummies have THC, um, horny goat weed and maca root. And then our um, after sex gummies have THC, CBD, uh, uh, CBN and um, valerian root. So it just knocks you out. So calming, relaxing. Calming most, and relaxing. Most most guys don't need that after they're done. They some just do, some up. don't. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, yeah. Some so people. I guess it's more for the ladies. Like a, some people have a really hard time sleeping after it, um, and some people could just knock them out, put them to sleep. So, so what's your what's your kind of plan of scale? Like uh, because licensing right like you you're in california you get your license and you can only produce in california but if you want to scale this globally which i think is a fantastic uh, uh product I, I think there is a gap there, there are some companies that have you know sex products on there uh you know that they're promoting but i don't know if there's anybody that's that's really stepped up and said this is all we do and this is the only thing that we do and uh, and then I'll I'll ask you about like studies and everything but how do you plan on scaling this So you're correct there currently aren't we are the only company that is a sex focused company um and it's very interesting it, it <laughs> You, you call me on a day where I just was talking to the FDA and then the California Cannabis Control and the this and the that. It's well, the beautiful thing about cannabis is it's so heavily regulated. So you know that if you buy it in a in a legal dispensary, the product that you're getting is going to be amazing because the California Cannabis Control is on it. They are very thorough. Like the amount of uh, hoops that we have to jump through to be a legal company is very, very, very significant. Um, for our product, for example, we test it three times before it's even, you know, hits the market, which is great because you're getting a quality product. Um, so it's very difficult though. There, there are some pretty significant challenges in being in cannabis. One is that it's state by state, right? So, so each individual state, you would have to adhere to their laws, their governing restrictions on packaging, um, all of their laws, you know, their, their distribution, the, the actual dispensary, I mean, everything. And a lot of it, because cannabis is such a new industry, a lot of it just seems so backwards because you're like, well, wait a second, <laughs> why don't we do this? Because it's so much better. But it's just such a new market that it's constantly changing and growing. And we're actually actively working on our packaging for our sex gummies. And within the time of us like starting the project to now, they've already changed the Prop 65 or what 95 or whatever the um, uh, prop. 64 65 65 oh, the prop 65 warning has changed oh, okay. just in the time of us just in two weeks right so it's like it's a constantly changing ever moving um, industry and it's very challenging to have a, a product that you can only sell in one state right yeah. so growing and expanding is really important and but there are challenges to that as well because again then if you expand to another state you would have to adhere to that state's laws restrictions you know everything. And every state is 
is completely different in how they do everything. So that is right now what we're, our plan is to do expand into the state of California to launch the shooters, the sex gummies, and then to also work on a hemp line because what a hemp line will do is it allows you broader distribution. Uh, you can distribute in any states where hemp is allowed. Um, and then you can really start to advertise to build your brand for your company because it's that's quite challenging because we are a sex-based company and because we're a cannabis-based company, we can't really do traditional routes of advertising. So a lot of people do Google ads or Instagram or TikTok. We have a really hard time with that because if they allow it for cannabis, nine times out of 10, they don't allow it for uh, sex. So it's kind of like we're in this really uh, challenging um, situation for marketing. What's, what's more difficult? What's more scrutinized? Is it the cannabis or is the sex when you're doing marketing? Uh, honestly, it's both because yeah. certain elements don't allow, like it's, it's kind of both. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah. So you can't do a Google ad for like a, enhanced sexual pleasure or anything like that they they flag that because i know cannabis you can't do a lot of different things but on the for the sex part i i didn't realize there was yeah. some restrictions yeah a lot of them oh yeah most most traditional routes of advertising we are not available to us um which is really frustrating because this is a product that could really help a lot of people and it's for like sure. that's the the main thing is getting the word out and it's like if you can't even just put ads up it's very very difficult so what do you do today to distribute your product? Where, where do people get it? Um, so we distribute in the state of California in dispensaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of do like influencer um, is, is a big, big way that we advertise is doing mm-hmm. like influencer uh, collaborations and things like that. Um, but our website is olavinia.com and you can find like where to buy. And we have a where to buy section and you can look it up where you can buy it from there. So you talked a little bit about uh, research. Uh, do you have any uh, goals to be able to conduct like more clinical studies? Yes. So especially with our anal sex products, because um, there really isn't any, um, I, I'm kind of a nerd. And so I read clinical studies and I, I look at like market research in terms of medical research and things like that. And I also, our PhD chemist is, I call him the Walter White of weed. He is, uh, you know, amazing and very scientific, you know, he's a scientist. So um so it's interesting because we send each other articles back and forth, but really for uh, cannabis and anal sex, there's no research that is done. Mm. And so I was talking to somebody who's a professor in Florida. The issue is those studies are expensive. It's like $150,000 to conduct studies. And um, that is, that's a lot of money, you know, that's a, that's a, a ton of money. So um, we kind of have like just that, that is a goal of mine is to potentially try to get a grant yeah. um, to, to research that. Yeah, I guess there's different types of studies that you can buy. You can do like an IND uh, type of study where you can do an observational study that is sponsored by a university or somebody else that you can go publish in PubMed and have it peer-reviewed. Then you can go in a clinical study and that, like a clinical trial type of study, that's a lot more expensive and there's different phases of that. So uh yeah, may I'm maybe starting with an observational study and control and doing it like a controlled uh, study, like you would do for a, uh, for a uh, clinical trial. Maybe that's a good way to go. Yeah. 
you and you can definitely get there are grants available, tons of them. It's just you know very time consuming and very tedious to complete grant documents. Yeah, but we we can talk offline about that. I, I maybe we can help uh, with some of the studies because we we do. Uh, uh, I think we're seven clinical trials now, and uh, uh, we oh, wow. we already published on PubMed. Did you did you get a grant for those studies, or did you fund them? Uh, different studies, different ways. So the ones in uh, in uh, Chum in Montreal, they're all funded by uh, by the university and the, the government. So there's a grant uh, on that one. Uh, the one we're doing in Harvard Medical, it's already in phase two. So we're doing that with through McLean Hospital. Uh, they're just swabbing using uh, our our tech, and uh, uh, there's a couple ones that we've uh, privately funded as well. Oh, that's awesome! That's so cool. Um, so. Scaling, scaling through, uh, you know, hemp-derived products. I think that's the and and California is a humongous state. So if you can take over California, maybe you don't you don't need the. I mean, you're doing well uh, here. Also, uh, what about international expansion? Is that is that a uh, of interest? Uh, for sure, it's something that we haven't. Um, you know, that's in like the five-year plan. Um, but for sure, we actually uh, talked to a company in Jamaica about potentially selling our products down there. Um, so definitely, it, 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 you know, you need to expand if you want to really, really, really grow. Yeah, I agree with you. I, it, it just a thought occurred to me, if you're going to do this uh, uh, sex uh, education part, uh, and you said parents speaking to kids, fathers speaking to daughters, is something that's super awkward from personal experience. So you may you may want to you may want to include that because that is something that I know all my dad friends really don't have uh, 100%. a good time speaking to their daughters. A hundred percent, and it's it's so awkward, but it's also a, such a necessary conversation, you know. And even if it's a conversation like, "Hey, if you have questions," I mean, even if it's ask your mom. <laughs> but, it's but- is that it was it was always that it was always uh it was always that. You know what? I think I'm just gonna the rest of this conversation. I'm just gonna have with mom. I tried yeah. <laughs> many times. <laughs> yeah. No. Definitely. It's really. Um, it is. It's. It's. It can be an awkward situation, and that's part of it. Would be also things that you could show your kids so that you don't even have to say it. You know, you could right. just be Here. like, "Here, watch click, this." <laughs> yeah, click the video. It's not porn. I promise. <laughs> it's not porn. I promise. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I'm curious, you mentioned obstacles in terms of advertising. What are some of the other challenges that you have to overcome? Uh, oh, everything. I mean, everything. There's <laughs> This is not an easy route. <laughs> you caught me on the day where it was like, this is the day. Um, you know, but it's really, what's beautiful, though, about challenges is challenges, like we were saying earlier, challenges really make you think about things, mm. right? Like you think about things like, okay, do I really want to do this? Why do I want to do this? What's going to happen with this? Like, it really causes you to be very thorough and very educated in your decision, which I think ultimately is a really good thing. Um, everything, you know, we had a little bit of package issuing, um, where our pump wasn't properly dispensing. So we switched, we're switching all of our packaging to a tincture bottle. Um, and that was really challenging and, you know, heart wrenching for me because you would hate anything negative to happen about your product, especially because I spent a year and a half formulating it and having the perfect formula and then it doesn't properly pump. It's just like something so silly, but, um, it can really, it can really kill the momentum and, and, um, 
is, you know, devastating as a founder. But then again, it caused me to really take our packaging extra into consideration and like, okay, let's thoroughly examine everything. And so now we have the best packaging. It doesn't leak. It's the perfect situation. It's the perfect pump or the perfect tincture, um, the perfect size and everything. So it's like every challenge really does make you better. Um, you know, in the, in the long run. You learn. Yeah. You learn from those experiences. Learn and you grow and you learn and you grow and you don't make that mistake twice. You know, you don't, I'm never going to have a pump again. (laughs) So I, I mean, I, I know the, I, I probably know the answer to this, but just uh, going back in hindsight, uh, you know, you you made the decision to, uh, you know, to pursue family life and get married and everything you just talked about and be an entrepreneur. But uh, is there still a voice in the back of your head that says, you know, none was there a calling for me or or you're like, I'm I'm glad I made my decision. Well, it's funny. I'm divorced now. And my mom's like, you know, Katie, it's never too late to go back to the nun. No, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, I'm pretty sure she does not know about my company, but I'm pretty sure it is for me. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. That was that was my next question. How your parents no, feel about that? <laughs> no, they don't know. So my dad is 85 and my mom is 79 and they don't know. And it's not it's not that I feel like I'm doing anything wrong, um, but it's that I, I know their moral compass and I know that this wouldn't be something for them cannabis was illegal for most of their life, you know? And so for them, like my dad had a knee surgery and I made him a cannabis balm. And, um, and it was very funny because I kind of, this sounds bad, but I, I did maybe mislead them to think that it wasn't weed because I knew that if, if they heard the word marijuana, they know what that is. And marijuana is bad, right? Marijuana, the smear campaign worked and they're like the marijuana. But when I say cannabis, they don't, it doesn't, click the same way in their head. So I say it's a cannabis balm. Um, And it's really funny because it really helps my dad. He was like, oh yeah, that really works. But then um, my sister-in-law or brother ratted me out and my mom was like, the marijuana, oh, we don't want this in our house. That's illegal. But like, you have to keep in mind that for like most of their life, 80% of their life, it has been illegal. And so you, you, you take something that, um, has been so negatively scrutinized and villainized. And then yeah. you tell them, oh, no, 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 we uh, we lied. It's okay. This is legal now. And it's it's for the older generation, very difficult um, to change their mind. The really great part about it, though, is CBD. Mm-hmm. CBD is like the, the, the gateway to like opening up a conversation yeah. and like opening up like a, hey, this might, this is actually really good. Oh, this helps somebody sleep. And that's another thing is like doing sleep um, gummies for older people. And then they kind of start to expand like, oh, this really works. And this really, oh, okay. It's not just sitting around getting high, which is like what their stereotype of it is. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I had the same thing with my my dad had knee surgeries too. And then uh, he kind of asked me, he's like, do you have anything that can help? So I, I gave him some stuff and then he comes over. Uh, I was, I, I'm from Philly, but I live in LA now. And I went back for the holidays and he wanted to walk around uh, the, the neighborhood and he came back. He's like, I think this stuff is really working. I'm like, yeah. really? really? So if you think it's working as a joke, kind of, I'm like, record a testimonial for me. And then like a few weeks later, he, uh, he recorded a testimonial on his phone and sent it to me. I'm like, that is my favorite testimony of all time because somebody was so anti, as you said, that generation of that, you know, the war on drugs and all that stuff, but actually had it work for him personally and recorded it. I think that's something that, you know, his generation can connect to. 
So yeah, absolutely. Um, you already answered this question because I asked all my guests uh, to describe their first uh, experience with cannabis. Um, when you try cannabis next uh, after you had your adverse uh, event, did you have a different experience, and did you do it differently? You know, actually, I think it's very funny. I'm trying to think of the next time. So literally that first time was so traumatic for me that it kept me away for years. And I think that that's a really important learning experience for obviously my friend was very pro cannabis, smokes all the time, has a vaporizer. You know what I mean? Like he was... And I feel like I really would have loved, and this is maybe for anyone watching or listening can say, can, can do this, but I really would have loved a lot more guidance. So especially for first timers, I think there's kind of an obligation if you're experienced uh, to kind of maybe uh, understand uh, expectations or like, uh, I just wish that there was a little bit more education and granted that's a hundred percent on me, yada, 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 but like doing six hits. <laughs> It's definitely not on you. It's, it's definitely not on you. First of all, you said it, and, and I'll make a plug for my company. If anybody had this experience, they can uh, get an endo DNA test and actually get a personalized experience. But first of all, I completely agree with you that it, it, there's a buddy system, and you pass this on, and there's a ritual, and there's a spiritual part of this plant. You know, yes, it's medicinal, and there's a, if somebody is uh, there, to, the, you have to get some guidance, unless both of you are sort of novices because i was i was like 14 when i tried and nobody knew what the hell they were doing uh but that also and then in my opinion the way that we treated this uh this recreational cannabis law uh we came from medicinal made it recreational uh, which i don't even understand the word recreational to me it's adult use if you're over 21 you should do whatever you want to do but we created this whole category that people uh, connect to with concentrates and you have so much, THC is a very narrow therapeutic window. And when you have so much THC, Delta 9, you are creating so much anandamide that's free, freely uh, going through your bloodstream, like a free radical. Your immune system is reacting to that. And depending on your genetic predisposition, it can epigenetically turn some of these things on. And you don't really need that much THC. I mean, some people do if they're in pain or they're going through uh, some condition, but for the general, uh, you know, the general user, you don't need that. What happens is you build up a certain tolerance, uh, but just, you know, do, do a break, reset your receptors. But this notion of vaping, like I was in a, I was in a show with this, uh, this person who's a lot older than me and they were going, oh, you know, I, I equate one joint to one beer. And I was like, my friend, let me tell you something. If you smoke a joint right now, uh, you will be under this console. I can guarantee you, I will, you your, your arms will move. I can guarantee that'll happen to you because the amount of THC has grown exponentially so much that it actually gives fodder to the people that are talking anti-cannabis and saying, oh, look at all these people. Look, they're getting way too high. They're having you know, psychotic experiences. And it has to do as you said, dosing, but also the amount of THC that we're creating in these concentrates, completely unnecessary. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it really is the, 
it's the worst experience ever when you consume too much THC and you don't want to be that high. And it's, it's, um, that's, I'm a big proponent of less is more. I actually, what that, what that experience did is it taught me that I'm not a fan of consuming in public. Like I don't like to consume at parties, you know, so everyone's smoking at parties. I will not be. (laughs) There's a gene, you know, there's a gene for that. There's a series of genes for that. It has to do with the response to social situations and it has to do with our predisposition to being an extrovert and introvert. Like you seem like an extroverted person, yeah. but you, you only know that about yourself. But what happens is some people who are uh, outgoing and they're at a, at a party and an event, uh, you're actually, when you get home, you feel like your energy has been drained from you. And uh, those people actually uh, do better consuming in the comfort of their home than having that social experience because that definitely triggers that stress reactivity and yeah. PTSD. Wild. It is. It is. And, and, and it's there. It, it's so uncomfortable. I mean, to be too drunk, to be too high, either on anything and any, any drug is very uncomfortable. I'll, I'll get, I'll get off this uh, subject, but you brought up something interesting because too, too drunk. Nobody blames, you know, the tequila company. If you drank too much uh, tequila and you got fucked up on tequila and you're like, I can't even smell it anymore. But we have this thing. I smoke too much weed. Oh shit. It's, it's this company. It's the weed. It's the vape. It's this. We don't blame ourselves because we overdid it. This is the difference between, uh, you know, what, what other substances are versus, you know, cannabis. Um, yeah, no, it's true. Well, and you know, alcohol is so widely socially available. And I personally find that alcohol has the most negative um, features of any drug, right? I've never um, taken mushrooms and had a bad experience ever. I'm yeah. always cognizant of what I say. I, I know where I'm at. I know you're you're aware mentally of everything. It gets to a point with alcohol, the same thing with cannabis, right? You're aware of everything. It gets to a point with alcohol where you black out, you can feel yourself not able to speak, you can't remember things, right? Like though, there's some pretty negative aspects to alcohol, but it's so socially accepted, right? Because after prohibition, it became socially acceptable. Alcohol companies put tons of money into advertising it to make it even more socially acceptable. And I, but I feel like with cannabis and mushrooms, we're getting there. Like I feel like it is becoming this slightly more socially acceptable. It depends. Um, we we live in the coasts, so I mean, being in California, yes, and people are microdosing. And uh, I, I can I can tell you if uh, if you take a hero's dose of psilocybin, uh, I'm not sure if you'll have that same cognizant experiences you just described, but uh, people in still in the middle of the country, uh, and I'm not talking about Chicago for uh, because that's an anomaly, but most of the country is not like that. They are still like magic mushrooms. What do you mean? That's a drug. And they don't understand the therapeutic aspects. I think we have to get the, the science and the government has to be in alignment with saying that we will deschedule, reschedule, we'll provide testing, and create policy that's nationwide, not just state-to-state differences. It, it makes no no sense. Um, okay, so I have a couple of music questions for you. I'm a, I'm a big music person. I don't know if you are. Do you remember uh, the very first concert that you ever attended? <laughs> yes, it was Jessica Simpson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel embarrassed to admit that, but that no, was my okay. very first concert ever and it was funny because she sang like two songs and then she sat down she's like oh i'm tired (laughs) and it was like not yeah 
No, she was very popular back in the day. I remember they, they him, her, and the is it Nick Lachey? They had a yes, reality yeah, show. Had, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what, what was the last concert you ever attend, that you attended? Nathaniel Ratliff. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. Yeah, I know. Yeah, man, right. Yep. <laughs> she was at the Troubadour, but I think this was a while ago. I feel like there's got to be a concert that I went he to. He wasn't. He wasn't. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, he was there last year at the Troubadour, if I'm not mistaken. Was it last year? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Great. So you're okay. a fan too. I'm. I'm a fan of music in general. Um, mu- another music question. So, um, if you have to pick five albums that you can listen to for one year. And by the way, I'm going to preface this with, you don't have to remember the name of the album. You can just say the artist, like Jessica Simpson, or like I'm wearing Pink Floyd, whatever. What would be those five albums? Okay, I think, so it would be definitely Tennessee Whiskey. Chris Stapleton. Um, what's that? Chris Stapleton. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, Son of a Bitch, so. Nathaniel Radcliffe. Um, it would be... Dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, now here she goes again. Mm-hmm. What's Fleetwood Mac? Fleetwood Mac. Thank you. And then, um, hold on, I have to look it up. I think I'm just my mind is going blank right now. Um, it, it, so it, the, the reason why I find this exercise interesting is because it's a moment in time. Right. So it's whatever flows into your mind right now. Tomorrow, you can be like, oh, shit. No, these two. Yeah. But I, I wanted these two other ones. I forgot all about it. That happens to me all the time. That's why we were just capturing that moment in time. Bob Marley. So the, uh, is this love? And um, I love the. Um, it's so good. And I can hear it in my head, but I can't think of the name of it. Um what I mean, kind so what kind of music mind. is it? Uh I love Joe Crocker. Okay. It's amazing. Um, with a little help from my friends. Yeah, such Joe a Cocker, yeah. dog. Um, and then the other one is I put placed an ad in the personal section. Do you like Pina Coladas? What is the name of that song? Jimmy Buffett. No. Um do you like Pina Coladas? Yeah, that's that's Jimmy Making Buffett. Love in the Mar- rain. Margar- Margaritaville. No, it's not Margaritaville. Um, it is not. But Margaritaville is great. Well, we'll, we'll look it up. Well, it's so good, and it's at the, <laughs> like you're just gonna have to edit this. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. I'll find it because I realize okay. now we can okay. edit. Okay. Um, I think, I think it's Rupert Holmes. Yes. 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 What is? What is? It's called "Escape the Pina Colada yes. Song." Thank you. <laughs> We'll, we'll edit like, all this so out. No, we'll, we'll say we'll edit all this out, and you got her in. The, you say it back so we can edit. So wait, what was it again? R- Rupert Holmes. Rupert Holmes escape. There you go. That's <laughs> all right. Uh, what has cannabis meant in your life? It, it's changed my life in so many ways. It's changed my social social circle. Uh, it's changed my perspective of life. Um, it's, it's, it's healed me in so many ways. Um, it's really, I, I have a great love affair with cannabis. Okay. Last question. 
Uh, please describe what your room looked like growing up. So I'm the six of seven kids. And I was always living with, we, we grew up in a three bedroom house. And so obviously my parents had a room and then um, we split two rooms between seven people. So there was like always, you know, three to four people in a room. Um, so we always had bunk beds, um, you know, and some people would hear that and be like, oh my gosh, that sounds crazy. But it was actually such a fun experience because mm-hmm. there was always something happening that was super fun. And I was never bored. I was never lonely. Um, I remember when I would go to sleep at night, I remember one time, like my cheeks hurting so much from smiling and like my stomach hurt from laughing so much. And I just remember being like, I wonder how tomorrow is going to be any better. And tomorrow was always even more better, you know, more better. It was always better. Um, And yeah, I just, that it was, it was a really happy room that was filled with like a lot of love okay but visually uh, bunk beds did you bunk have beds. any any posters in the walls like i'm, I'm trying to uh, get a visual is there anything uh distinct <laughs> furniture wise i think mm-hmm. kathy ireland was on the wall when okay. my brother my brother put it and we're irish by um eth- you know that's our ethnicity or yeah. our so i think i always thought it was ireland i don't know but I think it was like, oh, she was an, she was a supermodel back in the day, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think she was even not a supermodel anymore when oh. it was up on the wall. Like, I think it was like an old school vintage poster. Got it. Um, and then I also was really into sports. My goal was to become a professional athlete. And I, in particular, a basketball player. I was really into basketball. Unfortunately, I didn't excel <laughs> at the <laughs> sports, become pro. Um, but I always had a baseball, uh, basketball hoop in yeah. my room. And I would... Um, have to, I had a ritual every night that I would have to make three baskets before I could go to bed. And if I missed a basket, I'd have to start over. Mm-hmm. And what's really funny is <laughs> my siblings and I were all talking about it because it's, it speaks to you. Like it turns on and it says score three <laughs> points. And my siblings didn't realize <laughs> that I was doing it. They would go to bed and then I'd go to bed after them. And I'd be like, score three points. And they thought it just always like went on acts like naturally like it just naturally at like 11 o'clock <laughs> went off <laughs> not realizing that i did this every night as a ritual which i think is pretty funny super funny all right so uh katie what uh where can people find out more about you engage with, with lavinia your content uh how do you want people to contact so um our website is olavinia.com so o-h-l-a-v-i-n-i-a.com and um our social media is o.lavinia and then my personal social media is underscore katie k-a-t-i-e underscore enright e-n-r-i-g-h-t underscore and my account is private but it's only private because i got scared that my mom was going to join instagram and i didn't want her to know what i was doing so feel free to friend request me i accept everyone except for my mother (laughs) and don't don't share any of this with katie's mom please (laughs) Uh, katie i want to thank you so much uh, for being on it's great i really appreciate your time yeah, thank you so much. Nice nice being on. Appreciate it, Len. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 
Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.